Hi everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of learning. I'm Ryan Radzeski, here with Greg Baer. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Tom Vanderark, an advocate for innovations in learning. As CEO of Getting Smart, Tom advises schools, districts, networks, foundations, and learning organizations, and he's the author of Getting Smart, Smart Cities That Work For Everyone, Smart Parents, Better Together, The Power Of Place, and Difference Making At The Heart Of Learning. He previously served as the first executive director of education for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and was a public school superintendent in Washington State. Tom, we are so grateful that you're here. Thank you. Greg and Ryan, it's great to be with you. We don't know how you did it, but you've written more than 50 books, book chapters, articles, reports, and more as the CEO of Getting Smart, which is both a media channel and a firm specializing in school design, redesign, professional development, and so much more. And Tom, among your more recent publications is a report entitled 20 Invention Opportunities in Learning and Development, which you describe as a call to action to reimagine an education system that works for all people after seeing inequities and inadequacies widened and worsened by the last 12 months. Can you share with our audience as we look ahead, what are some of these big ideas that we ought to be thinking about in communities across America as we rethink what's possible in public education? The report is broken into three different categories of community agreements, learner experience, and system design. We think there's big opportunities in each of those categories. We started in an interesting, sort of an odd place of shared reality as the very first one. We think to some extent that reality is broken, particularly our use of social media has driven us into feuding camps. And for people that are trying to lead schools and systems and cities, The first task is really to rebuild a shared sense of where we are and what's possible. And that can only happen through community conversations. That sets the stage for a set of community agreements about what learning could be. And that's why we're so excited about Remake Learning. And we think that's really a commitment to conversation and to possibility. So that's where it starts. You mentioned this shared reality. It's been my experience in talking with superintendents in our region over the past number of weeks. They've repeatedly and in an unprompted way talked about that incredible healing needs to happen in our communities to just get through this next few months of this school year, as well as to look forward to future school years. Can you say a little bit more about why and how and where we start with that work? Yeah, I'm just, I'm struck by the layers of inequity that we're dealing with right now, that the pandemic, like climate change, like exponential technology has made the rich richer and those less advantaged by history in the American society really left out. This is a set of compounding factors that has really disadvantaged 20 or 30 million young people in America in a really severe way. So what we most need community by community is an opportunity to come back together to rebuild relationships and acknowledge that the inequities that have existed since America's founding have in many respects grown worse over the last year and that we all have new work to do, that we have new agreements that need to be made, that we need to double down on efforts to reach out to each other and particularly to young people that have just been particularly disadvantaged by the last year. Tom, are there places where 
that work has already begun and where you're seeing it being done uh, in a promising way? There's a couple of innovations that we're excited about. Our friend Aaron Rabb has started 100 Days of Conversation. This is running all over the United States. You can find it at 100daysofconversation.org. A great example of a grassroots effort to get people talking community by community. Uh, Another cool app that we've seen is uh, Cortico.ai, which is a new nonprofit that works with MIT Center for Constructive Communication. And this is actually bringing machine learning to community conversations and really through their online platform called Local Voices Network. It's surfacing diverse conversations in really useful ways. So those, those are some examples of tools and facilitation techniques that are happening. But I would say that community by community, people are finding their way. They're trying to go back to school when and how makes most sense for them to rebuild from what has been a really challenging year for most families and probably the most difficult year of their career for educators. And Tom, as we look to a post-pandemic learning future, Our colleagues at KnowledgeWorks have taught us about the signals that point to a future to which we might go. So let's put ourselves back before that pandemic, because you wrote another book called The Power of Place, and you spoke about the hyper-local work in communities or in schools or school networks across this country. Can you give us a few examples of places that pre-pandemic might be signals as we think about our post-pandemic learning future and that power of place? So the premise of Power Place written around the design principles of Teton Science School in Wyoming is that every place is a place and has its own beauty and its own lessons to teach. And so we we do hope that every community in America really takes advantage of all the beautiful lessons uh, to be learned right outside, the beautiful partnerships to be created right where you are. I'm reminded of uh, my last visit to Nuvu Studios in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where the day I was there, one group did a walking tour of the local neighborhood, and they studied the economics and demographics and looked hard at who owned what and who was doing well and who wasn't. Another group studied the intensity of smell, and they created Uh, graphical representations of the intensity and duration of smell. So the same walking tour repurposed for different means. Uh, Just a great local example of go outside and learn what your community has to teach you. I'm excited by uh, the Teton Science School and their Place Schools Network, where they're helping rural micro schools really reconnect with their community. And then at a regional level, we're super excited about the work happening in Kansas City, where Almost 45 school districts and 100 high schools have helped to facilitate a set of community agreements about real-world learning that's just reinvigorating high school learning across a two-state region. People are adding community-connected projects, entrepreneurial experiences, internships. We're just excited that a set of regional agreements has really brought civic and business leaders into that work. Another priority you outline in Getting Smart's recent report is learning design, uh, how to use learning science to craft engaging and effective learning experiences. Can you give us a sense of how science has or has not shaped the experience of learning over the past few decades? Yeah, we have a sedimentary system where we've inherited these layers of policies and practices, and most of them just don't really have any basis 
in science, at least that science that has emerged over the last decade. And as the science of learning and development, SOLD, the Soul Alliance has taught us in the last year, we actually know quite a bit. A recent blog post that I did summarizing their work identified 12 strategies from science. And I'll just mention a couple of those from Todd Rose, recognize individuality and anticipate malleability. That's from uh, Dr. Pam Kenter. Understanding context, that context really matters for young people, also that they uh, thrive on relationships. And that setting priorities is super important. For 20 years, we've been chasing lots of standards in lots of subjects. And in fact, setting priorities on belonging, attachment, self-efficacy, developing a growth mindset, that those priorities matter a lot. Active learning matters a lot. Engaging tasks that matter to learners and to the community giving kids real-time feedback on the work that they're doing, taking risk factors seriously, exploring what motivates individual learners. I mean, these are some of the things that science is teaching us, and we're just excited that thousands of schools around the country are really beginning to pay attention to those factors and invite them in to co-construct meaningful activities that result in public products. As someone who's been in the business of spotlighting and sharing ideas, I'm wondering what, in your opinion, has to happen to scale science-based learning so that it's accessible to more learners. I like what you said about we've inherited these layers over time, and I, I think those can be hard to penetrate at a certain extent. Yeah. Well, for those of us that helped stand up No Child Left Behind 20 years ago, it's just had such a far-ranging and damaging impact. And we're so monopolized by bad end-of-year standardized tests that really just look at grade-level proficiency in two subjects. So we're going to need to dismantle that by really taking advantage of the cumulative validity of good formative assessment. That means measuring what matters, doing it well, feeding it back to learners and teachers in ways that are meaningful, and then credentialing that formative feedback in ways that it can guide an individual learner progression and be aggregated at a system level and be used instead of standardized testing. So the ultimate answer to your question is we're going to need to invent new forms of measurement. We're going to need to create learner profiles that are secure and portable, that value what matters most and connects to portfolios of personal best. So we have our work cut out for us, but that's work that we can do in this decade. This is Remaking Tomorrow. I'm Greg Baer along with Ryan Rudzeski, and we're talking with Tom Vanderark, the CEO of Getting Smart. Tom, we hear so much these days about the need to dismantle old systems and build new ones, maybe more so than ever in recent past due to this pandemic. And yet, You've led a system, right? You know what that means. You know how hard it is to talk about it in concrete ways, in ways that school boards understand, in ways that parents understand, certainly the way that legislators might understand. It is so complicated, so interconnected. So you've already given us some clues as to what new systems might look like, but what's it going to actually take to build new systems? How can we get there? So every system has one important decision to make, and that's what's the right mixture of improvement and innovation for my community. Improvement makes what we have better. Innovation tries new things. And I would argue that today, every system should be creating new while improving the old. 
And creating the new means starting new schools. Every new school is a great opportunity to start over and create something fresh. One of my favorite schools in the world is uh, Design 39 and Poway Unified in northern San Diego County. And it's called Design 39 because it was the 39th school in the district. So a great example of a superintendent saying the next school that we build should be something that's new and different and important, not just for us, but the sector. Starting new schools around a powerful learner-centered premise, any chance you get is an important thing to do. But you can start a new school even inside an existing school. We often call those a micro school. And we're excited by a growing number of districts that are building these school within a school, micro schools where you can pilot a new conception of learning. This is a growing strategy around the world that is successfully kickstarting learning and distributing leadership to teachers that are ready to rock and roll with a group of learners who are ready to fly. And then the final thing I'll say is we need to build a new measurement and data foundation under the existing system. So that's going to take a real initiative in school districts, in regions, and in states, beginning the leadership work of really replacing the foundation under the system we have while it's in progress. Tom, I'm glad you mentioned Design 39 you get a chance to travel and see lots of schools. I've had that great privilege as well, and I've been to Design 39. And I remember walking away thinking, I wish this could happen in a place like Western Pennsylvania or Northern West Virginia. But this is a region, like lots of other places in America, where there's not a lot of new construction. One really needs to turn to that second option that you described in terms of micro schools. Can you say a little bit more about, as a superintendent, as a principal, as a school board, how they might undertake either the mindset or the actual work of a micro school within an existing school structure. Yeah, one of my favorite examples of this is Kettle Moraine, where Pat DeClotz split an elementary in half and created a progressive micro school that allowed a group of teacher leaders to fly. And then inside a comprehensive high school, she started three new charter high schools, each with about 40 students, two teachers, And now, uh, five years later, almost half of the school attends one of those academies. And now when you visit Kettle Moraine, it's actually hard to find those three new schools because the rest of the school has been transformed, not just the facility, but the learning inside that facility. So a great example of how this can be done from the inside out and be done anywhere. Speaking of looking ahead to new schools, new systems, uh, and a new future beyond COVID-19, you've written that two of the things we ought to be teaching the most but aren't are climate change and artificial intelligence. Can you talk a bit about your reasoning behind both and if there are any places where you're seeing progress when it comes to teaching these issues? The two big factors that are going to monopolize the next 20 years are AI and climate change. More broadly, exponential technology And if you want to broaden it to the global goals, you can, but half a dozen of the global goals are related to climate change. You're talking about the UN Sustainable Development Goals? Yes. Anything a young person does is going to be influenced heavily by these two factors. They will, in my view, do more to change the lives and livelihoods of young people than anything else. And so we owe it to them to give them the best introduction that we possibly can and not do it prophylactically and say this might happen in the future so you should know about it but actually invite them to be solutionaries to jump in with us and with 
community partners and help begin building solutions. One reason that I mentioned at the outset that these two change forces are so different than anything that we've ever experienced is that they both have built-in accelerators, that they're both exponential in nature, and that they're both impacting the least advantaged in our society. And so what I'm most worried about in the American society today is inequity. The pandemic has laid that bare. Racial injustice has laid that bare. But AI and climate change are doing the same thing, that they are disproportionately making the rich richer and disproportionately impacting negatively communities of color and the communities that have been least advantaged in our society. So we need to be very intentional about how climate change and how AI are going to change the job market and living situations in our community. And we should invite young people into those subjects to begin using machine learning tools to take on climate change and related topics. The exciting thing is that there's never been a better time to make a difference. There's never been a world where a young person like Greta Thunberg could create a social media campaign that would begin to change the world. There's never been a world where an Oakland nonprofit startup called AI for All could teach young ladies about how to use machine learning tools to do impact projects. So the exciting thing is that we can invite teenagers to begin using smart tools to take on the world's biggest problems. They don't have to wait until they go to college. They don't have to wait till they finish a master's degree. They can begin doing work that matters to them and their community right where they are. And I hope for more and more kids that that includes studying AI and exponential technology. That, that means not just learning how to code, but being invited to think deeply about the ethical implications and the economic implications of who's going to make decisions about whether they get a job or whether they get a mortgage, because increasingly that's being made by an algorithm. So it's time for us all to pay attention to these mega change forces and invite kids into building solutions with us. Tom, how can people find out more about your work and about the ideas you're sharing? Just uh, check us out at gettingsmart.com and you can find us on Twitter uh, and Instagram as well. Again, that's gettingsmart.com. Tom, before we say goodbye, and you've already given us so much about which to think, one last question for you, please. Yes. What's one thing parents and educators can do to make tomorrow a more promising place for our learners? Ask your learner how they're doing and really mean it and just listen. I think more than anything else, kids need that connection. They need somebody that listens with empathy. Check in with them. Find out what they're thinking about, what they're interested in. Look for a way you can support that. Just be there for kids. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much, Tom. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning a Pittsburgh-based network of people and organizations that ignite engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. Learn more at remakelearning.org tomorrow.